when it comes to the disciplinary hearing, what is at issue is a potential punishment. And what she has to determine, Sue Robinson, the independent arbitrator, is whether Deshaun Watson violated the league conduct policy. And so if she determines that he violated that, she issues a suspension. If she determines he didn't, then the case is closed. The NFL can't even appeal that. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. Back here, Cofield and Company on this Monday. Hill, this homies edition. Adam Hill, Willie Ramirez here with you. Ari on the board. God, there's so much Deshaun Watson stuff, but... It really is. We have to get to the real breaking news in the NFL, so let's just jump right into it. So I guess it's not the NFL, but it kind of is. It involves NFL players. Adrian Peterson and Le'Veon Bell. July 30th, squared circle. Let's go. Are there odds up yet so I can bet on Le'Veon Bell? Not. Why, why are you betting Le'Veon Bell? Why would my betting Adrian? Why would anyone bet Adrian? I just think Le'Veon Bell is going to knock him out. I mean, they're both not. I mean, Le'Veon Bell is younger, but not. Adrian Peterson's jacked, man. Yeah, I've seen jacked people get clocked. Sure, absolutely. If you don't know what you're doing in there, but I don't think either one of them knows what they're doing in there. I don't know. I just don't know how you can I, take a stance on on Le'Veon Bell right away, just being better. It's just, I guess, it's more gut. Okay, <laughs> I'll have you know who I have to reach out to is is our our dear friend uh, or the Gonzo twins. I'll t- I'll talk to Dylan Gonzalez and see what kind of training he he endures and if he can th- if he can throw hands. She's close with Le'Veon. I mean, I, I think it'll be interesting. I mean, I I don't I these fights are so dumb and they get they annoy me, but at the same time, like the intrigue of talking about what's going to happen. The actual fight sucks, but the build up and the talking about it kind of is fun. Yeah, the gimmicks, the, all these things, I get it, and I'm with you where they become irritating and it's and it's kind of like it just it's like nails on the chalkboard but sometimes when the characters that are involved it's what it's what adds to the intrigue and so as nauseating nauseating as these come across there are certain ones that it's still nauseating but it's intriguing this is one of those nauseating but intriguing could potentially apply to the deshaun watson situation as well it's been going on over a year at this point New developments now in the case. There was settlement agreements in the works, or excuse me, settlement talks, or at least in the works, uh, up until just a few days ago between the NFL, the NFLPA, uh, and Watson's side. It sounds like those have fallen apart, and we will proceed with the hearing tomorrow. Don't know how much we're actually going to get from it, probably not a lot um, that we're going to actually hear about, but this is kind of a new system for the NFL. So I think. Even up until a couple of days ago, I was trying to figure out. I know um, a couple couple of national media people that I that I follow pretty closely and uh, are very plugged in. Even they were like, "I'm not exactly sure how this process is going to play out. Like, who makes the ruling, how it goes." Uh, but it is an independent arbitrator, and Sue Robinson is the um, agreed upon uh, arbitrator for this case. They will argue their sides. The NFL will, the NFLPA side, and Watson side. Uh, will you know argue their um, their points, and then Sue Robinson will decide whether there's a couple of processes of this. One, whether any violation occurred of the personal conduct policy. Now she could say no, and the the case will be over. 
The NFL has no appeal rights after that. If she says absolutely not, there was no violation. Uh, she could also make a ruling in terms of a uh, a length of suspension. And if she does make that ruling, then the NFL can appeal and Watson side could appeal. And they will come up with what happens after that. Now, that could potentially go to Goodell, which would not really be a fair part of this process, but um, that would be that would be interesting. So that's the two steps that could happen. Either, either no violation or a ruling in terms of um, length of suspension, and then both sides could appeal at that point. Obviously, Watson side wouldn't want to appeal if there, there was no violation found. Uh, so that would be the, that would be the end of the case. This is if the arbitrator decides that that he did no wrong. But my question or is, or it's not even did no wrong because I, I think we we get into that phrasing a lot of times in in courtrooms when somebody's found not guilty. Like, well, they didn't do it. Not guilty is different than that. She can say no violation was found of. So she can say maybe there's just not a specific part of the agreement that that he violated and that could be and then why, the nfl would have no right to go forward with a suspension it could be why he stipulated or his camp stipulated to the said lease that it ndas must be signed sure so you know if if a settlement was needed then you know i i, I guess you're showing your hand but with an nda you're not sure what was why and what was settled over. Sure. But I mean, I think there's. I mean, you know yeah. what it is, yeah. but I'm just saying it's. I don't know. There, like you said, there's so much to unfold with this and, and what to expect that you just don't know because I, I think. I think every you know, as far as the arbitrator and then the NFL itself, it's somewhat in a rock and a hard place considering what the allegations are and how to handle it. Yeah. And we'll also, we're, we're so we'll find out, not tomorrow, I don't, you know, it's not going to be one day and done with the decision and everything coming out, but very soon because there is, as we said, potentially depending on the ruling of of this judge, depending on the ruling, there could be an, uh, an appeal process. Again, this whole thing could be over if she says no violations were, were found, there was no specific violation of the conduct policy, the NFL doesn't have a right to suspend them, then it's over. But if there is a ruling on length of suspension, then both sides would have the chance to appeal uh, going forward from there. So we'll find out how that goes. Uh, also in the works, the Alvin Kamara potential suspension uh, stemming from the incident in Las Vegas where he was arrested at the Pro Bowl at the actual stadium uh, following the game, which, again, the fact that he played is still wildly befuddling to everyone. Yeah, uh, That sounds like it could be six games, which would fit the, you know, the policy that we've laughed about many times here on the show, automatic six-game suspension. Okay, when? Uh, that it's almost never an actual six-game suspension, but in this case, it looks like it might be six games that Alvin Kamara is getting, so that could impact. I know it already started to impact some of the numbers early in the season uh, for the Saints, potentially. Uh, that is a big loss, but there is, on top of that, another step in the Deshaun Watson process as well. All right, so we knew this was coming, but it has officially happened. The Texans have been added to the lawsuits against Deshaun Watson of at least uh, one of the victims, alleged victims, we should say. Um, the Houston Texans, according to the reports that came out recently, it's tough to say they were specifically complicit in what happened, but the allegations are that they were at least partly complicit in what happened because they did get Deshaun Watson a membership to the private club uh, that he was using for some of these encounters 
Uh, and also, there's the allegation that someone within the organization drew up an NDA for him to start giving to some of the massage therapists. Um, and in that case, now the team has all kinds of exposure. And we're going to find out how much, uh, as this lawsuit plays out, um, again, most of the cases have been settled, but this is another step, uh, especially in the ones that have not been settled, for what could potentially happen. So now you're opening this up to, um, obviously, not only just Deshaun Watson being personally liable, but also an NFL team and greatly expanding on the scope of this potential lawsuit. Yeah, and a lawyer said this is the first and what likely will be many against the Houston Texans related to Deshaun Watson's behavior. Uh, we believe the Texans knew or most certainly would have known of Watson's conduct. Beyond that, we believe the filing speaks for itself. Um, and as you said, they, you know, this uh, documents were obtained that he, um, the Texans got him a, a hotel and spa membership, gave him the, the NDA, and right now the lawsuit's filed on behalf of Toy Garner, described as a flight attendant, massage therapist in training and alleges graphic sexual misconduct committed by Watson. Yeah, and uh, uh, Tony Busby, the attorney uh, for the woman, um, said, suffice to say, the overwhelming evidence collected indicating the Houston Texans enabled Watson's behavior is incredibly damning. We believe, yeah, as you said, should have known. Um, also, this number, as we, as we said, is up to 66 appointments that were known of. Uh, Busby believes it's at least 100 uh, that are part of it. Um, st- again, so many layers to this that are going on, but the the fact that, or excuse me, the at least the allegation that the Texans provided this spa membership and provided the NDA, after, which came after, uh, for those that haven't followed the, the case very closely, one of the women posted uh, Deshaun Watson's personal information, including his cash app, because she had received that, obviously, because he sent her money. Uh, for the massage, which would be what he would say. Um, she posted a bunch of stuff and threatened to expose them on social media. He's like, I better start getting these NDA signs. So one of the Texans employees had it drawn up for him. That's not good. And I think we'll we'll hear a lot more from Justin Watson, Justin Watson, Justin Watkins later in the week um, about what exactly this all means potentially for the cases. But uh, to have the, league, the the team and then potentially the league all dragged into this just makes it that much. It's already as big as it can get, and as troubling as it can get in terms of allegations. But uh, financially, this just opens up another massive, massive, uh, you know, windfall for uh, the settlements. So, and we open the frenzy and talking about Watson in the NFL. You know, with the, with those um, settlements. So the NFL reportedly is zeroing in on six alleged victims. Six, okay, whereas. The in here we're talking now. First of all, those settlements are between Deshaun Watson and the massage therapist. Where now all the women who have come forward with their own stories, um, how many of those the Texans could end up being liable for many more than the NFL zeroing in on with Watson to use that evidence because of the settlements and NDAs with those women. And if Watson gets suspended for one year, what is the punishment going to be for a franchise? Yeah, because then you have to you have to hand something down. Well, we'll see. Because I think what it'll be for the NFL is uh, well, it's already played out in court. We don't have to worry about it. That's what they usually do. Uh, but we will 
obviously continue to monitor this and uh, get more information as it goes on later in the week. But a big day tomorrow uh, in terms of the resolution of this. The league wants to have all of this done, including appeals, by the start of training camp for the Browns so that they have some clarity on the season uh, coming up. Uh, and, of course, Baker Mayfield's still hanging out there as well. So uh, a lot of a lot of moving pieces for the Browns, and uh, this hearing will determine a lot of what their future is uh, for the next couple of years as a franchise. Uh, but we do have a much more stable and impressive program uh, in town, and that is the UNLV Lady Rebels. Uh, a big week in both directions, a very historic Positive week, I think, for women in sports and also, um, you know, very disappointing week for many, many women around the country. So those things kind of uh, coincide right now and a good time to talk to Lindy The Rock about how uh, Title IX has impacted her life, her journey, her program and everything else. Uh, and what's coming up with the Lady Rebel program? Lindy The Rock joins us next. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. <laughs> It's being grateful um, for the privilege that we've been given, but then also advocating for not just ourselves, but the women that are going to come after us and the woman standing next to us. I have to fight for our team and the things that we want and need. I'm still on a daily basis uh, because really no one's going to fight for us except for us. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. Wise words there from Coach Lindy the Rock of the Lady Rebel Basketball Program, the very, very successful head coach of the very, very successful Lady Rebel Basketball Program, and we're excited to have her on uh, to talk about not only basketball but also just the you know 50 year anniversary of Title IX and, and the impact that has had and and the struggles that are still out there for uh, women's sports. So, Coach, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you guys? We are good. And uh, been enjoying a lot of the the coverage of you know 50 years of Title IX. We actually have the uh, the documentary that ESPN did uh, up on the studio right now. I guess just first of all, you, you know, you talked very uh, eloquently about it this weekend. But what does it mean to you that we are celebrating this 50 year anniversary and and how much Title IX has meant to women's sports? Well, I think it's just been you know I think it's been great how the heightened awareness has been so prevalent, especially this month, I think, with the actual anniversary, but even, I think, throughout our last season, because everyone kind of knew it was upcoming, um, because, uh, you know, I've learned even more, you know, uh, in different ways that I can help and advocate and different things uh, on it. So I think it's it's one of those things where, you know, I think the awareness is is so critical, and then um, continuing to keep it in conversation and fight and motivate and advocate. Um, they're, it's really, really important for, um, you know, not just women, but just the equality. And, and you know, obviously we, we celebrate the, the milestone, but it was just the start. I mean, we, it wasn't like everything was just fixed in one day, and it's still, you know, there still continues to be, you know, struggles and, and battles to, uh, to find that equality and, and, you know, continue to get women's sports, uh, you know, more and more exposure and, uh, acceptance and everything else. So I guess what is kind of the next steps along the way uh, that can be taken and that need to be taken? Um, well, I think you're, you know, exactly spot on. You know, 50 years actually seems like, you know, a long time. And especially talking to the generation of women that really lived that, you know. I'm I'm not 50 years old, so I think I've been more of the beneficiary than um, actually the trailblazer. But the women that were, you know, a part of that time, they were just happy to have opportunity. And so I think there's just different phases that, 
you know, as society or just different laws that come into place, um, they take different, different phases of at first, you know, women were just happy to have an opportunity and to have a playing field, um, and didn't, didn't necessarily, you know, really critique what it looked like or how it looked like or where it looked like. But now that the opportunity is the norm, now we have to make, continue to take strides to make the other aspects of it the norm, uh, you know, the financial equality, the, you know, equipment equality, the, the facility equality, um, everything from top to bottom. So, you know, I think and that's still very, very much a work in progress. Um, and, you know, you see it at some of the different NCAA tournaments. I mean, obviously we still feel it here in the department. Um, but I think it's it's felt you know it, it's not a by location thing. I think it's still nationally um, it, it's very prevalent. I mean, obviously the the WNBA and the NBA and you know women's soccer. I, I mean, we're we're still really fighting for a lot of things that aren't the norm quite yet. Lady, somebody who has probably benefited for for a majority of her life. You shared a dais with on Saturday, Nikki Fargus. I mean. Title IX is 50 years old. Nikki Fargus, probably as a little girl, was benefiting in the first 10 years, 12 years of, of Title IX, and then in her growth through high school and then college. And, I mean, when you were playing at Stanford, she was the coach at UCLA. And then as you became grad assistant and assistant coach, she was coaching LSU. And now you're sharing a dais with somebody who maybe you looked up to or maybe you knew of, and, and both – you know, aside from the other great women that were on the dais, but, I mean, to share that stage the other night, did you take anything from that in sharing the the, the stage with those women? And, um, you know, on Saturday, because uh, for those unaware, so there was a there was a panel discussion moderated by Paloma Villacana from uh, Fox 5, and you were a part of that before the Aces game on Saturday. And it was a special night. And I just have to say, and I don't know how it's going to come across. I don't want to be condescending, but... In a small sense, I sort of got a little, maybe got a little lump in my throat for Al and Bev watching you up there, sitting mm-hmm. up there before I had to go out and talk to do some interviews uh, with a couple of the Mystics for Athletes Unlimited. But for me, I was just kind of proud of you because I was thinking Al and Bev should be really proud right now. Yeah, well, I think in general it was just a really awesome thing to be a part of, and obviously I kind of had my entourage and my parents, my husband there, so they they go with me everywhere, so that's just part of the deal. But um, and and of course I I know they're proud in a lot of realms, but I think what really you know sharing that stage with Nikki um, just kind of really resonated with me of you know, sometimes you don't view yourselves as other people view you, um, and you know there's been pioneers not just for women's basketball, but for Title IX, and, and it's genera- generationally, you know, like Tara and and that 30 for 30 was one of the original pioneers. And then, you know, and, and she's of a certain generation, and I think Nikki is a part of that next generation of pioneering women, um, that coach, that play, that know that there's more to advocate for. And if anything, sharing the stage with her really brought it, you know, not that I didn't know that, but it really kind of hit home with me of like, you know, now I'm the next generation, um, and I, A, I would love for someone to, you know, reference me as a pioneer in 20 years um, for carrying the torch and, and um, you know, and keeping it uh, ablaze. So, um, you know, I think sharing, sharing the stage with those women, probably the biggest takeaway for me is 
um, you know, just reinvigorating kind of my motivation for it. And I, I need to find, you know, more people of, of kind of my age, my generation to continue. And there's a lot of them out there that we, we have to really continue to um, keep up this fight um, because, you know, it, it's, it, it's not going to just change overnight. I think even especially like with the 50 year anniversary, I think it's been great. And maybe there's been a lot of progress this year in general because of the heightened awareness. But what about next year? You know, when it's not quite as in the media attention and who's really going to fight that fight, it's going to come down on the shoulders um, of us because, you know, generally, generationally, those, they kind of graduate and, um, and then it get, gets passed down. So that's really, I think, the responsibility that I feel. And, um, you know, I'm proud to carry on. Speaking with UNLV Lady Rebels coach Lindy LaRock. Um, and Lindy, you know, you mentioned that maybe one day someone will look at you as a pioneer. And I think one thing that we can all agree upon um, is that you're definitely pioneering a new era, a new age of Lady Rebel basketball, um, successful in, in both seasons and, ter- and, and progress. Um, how has this offseason been? Is Are things getting smoother per each offseason? Of course, we're you're away from COVID now that you started in, in a somewhat of a, uh, you know, a rough year for everybody, but um, now in your third, getting ready and your off season, how, how are things going? Um, well, it's great. We, we have our team back on campus. We got them back last week. So this is actually going to be our first full week together. Um, and it's just really exciting. You know, I think, like you said, a little bit of me is like crazy to think that we're starting year three. Um, but at the same time, um, you, you know, it, it does feel, it feels really good. We have, a you know, a large contingent of returning players. And so I think the difference even between year two and year three is because we have, you know, such, you know, last year, even year two, we still had a, a very new team. And so this year is probably the first time where I like can go into a workout and say a drill and the majority of people know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Um, so maybe you know, that, that feels like maybe we can continue to really push forward um, and, and really progress uh, the way we want to because, um, you know, we don't have to kind of go back to 10 miles an hour. We're kind of, we can stay steady at 45 miles an hour and continue to push forward where, um, you know, sometimes New Year's, just depending on where the roster is at, sometimes, you you know, you got to really slow it down just to teach. And, um, you know, I think we can teach a little bit quicker because we have such a, um, big re- returning group, which is exciting. Would, I know you, you've, you know, you haven't shied away from expectations. You've, you've embraced them, but you know, when you start off the way that you have and, and take the jump that you do in year two, uh, there has to be some kind of managing of like, all right, like we're, we want to be good. We're going to be good. We like the expectations, but uh, we have set quite a high f- uh, base for ourselves here. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's, it's too high. Um, and, you know, that's like we made the NCAA tournament, but, you know, our players want to win that game. Yeah. Um, and we want to win multiple games in the tournament um, and really see how far we can go. So I think the biggest adjustment is uh, with kind of the success, you, you become a different element of the competition. You know, even last year we were, we were hunting people. That's what I tell the team. We were, we were the hunter. And this year we're going to be the hunted um, and so you have to you have to really guard that. You have to uh, be really di- diligent in your preparation and your execution um, because that it's it's a different target on our back. And I think that's um, 
you know, that's what we're preparing for and that's what we're excited about. But I think it takes definitely a different, a different level of work um, and preparation because, um, you know, some of our players haven't really been in that position. So this will be their first, first kind of shot at that. But we want to do what we did last year and more, so then what are we going to do different? And that's kind of our approach. And if that's the case, then we have to do everything that we did last year and more. Um, you know, so we've already kind of started that process and we have great energy and great effort. So, um, you know, I know we're going we're gonna to sustain it. Lindy, I, I had a chance to talk to Lexi Brown earlier this season, uh, WNBA season, and we were I was doing some catch-up stuff for Athletes Unlimited. And, you know, she made mention that this era of, of women's basketball is – is unlike any other where, you know, uh, especially with social media, their Instagram posts, we were laughing about it because they would do impromptu photo shoots in the parking lot during the AU season. And she was like, you know, one day we can look like the model and one day we can look like the baller. And that's just the way it is. The way that these professional women athletes are looked up to by the younger players that you're going after, does Las Vegas, in terms of hosting the five-week season of Athletes Unlimited and the way that the Aces have ascended this this season in particular and figures like Kelsey Plum and Asia Wilson where, same thing, the outfits and the, the hype and the video and then the, the highlights, mm-hmm. has that helped the recruiting to, to UNLV just like this is Vegas? Absolutely. I mean, I think just, you know, everyone's known Vegas for a long time and maybe even people have known Vegas as a basketball town for a long time with, you know, the running rebels and USA basketball and, you know, NBA all-star game here and different things, but it's not necessarily always been a women's basketball city. And I think very much that it is becoming that and it, and it's, and it's part of that. So obviously the aces really, I think, carry the torch, especially with their success um, and the faces that they have on their team are really recognizable. They're being such great ambassadors for our town, for our city, and really for even our university when none of them attended here. Um, you know, they, they, you know, are excited for me and our team and our success, um, because they're really invested in our community. And so, um, I think, you know, the athletes unlimited thing just added another level to that, um, especially outside of the WNBA season. And, you know, I think especially for the inaugural season, I think everyone was kind of just figuring it out, but, you know, I'm hopeful it, it comes back and it stays for a long time because that's another you know, it just brings, you know, great, great attention and, and great awareness to what we're doing here in Vegas. Um, and I think especially for, you know, young women, it gives them, you know, you can play basketball in this city um, and you can do it really well. And there's there's a lot of people here already doing it and there's a fan base for it. Um, you know, so it, you know, the aces, all of that, if any, it, it's it's nothing but been positive for our recruiting. Yeah, the Aces and the Lady Rebels both showing that basketball can be played by a very, very high level uh, mm-hmm. by, by females in Las Vegas for sure. Uh, we really, really appreciate the time, and uh, we're excited for the upcoming season. We can't wait. I know it's it's down the road a little bit, but we're excited for it. Yeah, well, I appreciate you guys having me on and talking Title Nine and Aces and everything. So um, even out of season, to keep keep me in rotation, I appreciate that. <laughs> oh, we, got it. we appreciate you. Thanks, thanks so much, Lindy the Rock. Of course, a Las Vegas legend. Yeah, even, even she said, you know, she's she's not she's not been on the earth that long, but uh, she has already been a, a legend in, in her Vegas, own right for sure. So we appreciate her. Excited for that Lady Rebel season coming up, uh, but everybody's always excited 
about the fat pack here in the middle of the show. And we've got a couple of interesting little food items coming up, as we always do here in Cofield Company. The crew over at Finley Toyota speak Spanish, Thai, and even Persian. In fact, they speak 14 different languages. Come in and talk the universal language of big savings today. You're live with the Fat Pack on Cofield and Company. I'm going to live till I die. I'm going to laugh. Back here, 4.30. Always time for Fat Pack, Hill and his homies edition today. You said over the fact that it's National Ice Cream Cake Day. Yeah. But then you posed a question that doesn't have to do necessarily with ice cream cake, but I'll start with ice cream cake. It is, ice cream cake is an absolutely incredible, delicious dessert. I'm 100% in with ice cream cake. But nobody ever gets it, I feel like. Yeah. You know what it is? People are so concerned, especially in this town, right? So if you get it, you got to get where you're going quick. But I think they they don't realize that wherever you're taking it, if you're taking it somewhere to celebrate, you're going to be indoors. There's going to be a fridge. Well, you need a freezer. And I think in their mind, yeah, I think in their mind, well, if there's a fridge, there's a freezer. In their mind, they think it's good. No, there's there's definitely fridges without freezer. Like the little mini fridge. Okay. But no, you're 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 on the right track though. That is why ice cream cake is not more prevalent. Right. But I think it should be. I doubt it's because so go ahead on with what I sent over. No, but uh, before we okay. still have plenty to do on this oh, okay. Okay. Uh no, because you're right, but I think the argument would be like if it, if you don't how depending on how long the drive is, how long it takes logistically to get to somewhere else, like the structure might fail to the point where it's not even going to refreeze properly. Like the structure might just fall apart of the yeah. ice cream cake and just freeze. Okay, so if you or, if, excuse me, melt. And a freeze. lot of these are made are custom. Like if you're if you're going to the extent of getting custom made, so like I would be the anal person that would be bringing the cooler with with the ice wraps and and putting it in the in the back in the trunk or whatever. I, I don't even think that's not that's not unrealistic. You have to. Yeah, that's why especially the ice cream in this cake town. Yeah, that's why the ice cream cake isn't more prevalent. Yeah. It's such an amazing thing. Now, it is. And when I was a kid, the, the place to go back then, it was on, oh, where's my old school Vegas folks? I know they all like when I bring up old Vegas. But on Maryland Parkway, across from the Boulevard Mall, it was the Maryland Square Shopping Center, the original Baskin Robbins in town. And they had the ice cream cakes there. Their ice cream cakes, like, that's the that's the standard that you, and then now there's these elaborate, there's a place up by my house that specializes in cupcakes and designer this, but they make, she makes designer Ice cream cakes. But yeah, that's. They are fantastic. Ice cream cake. I was going to say, I think the. I thought the Baskin Robbins standard was that Fudgy the Whale cake, but that's that's Carvel. Oh, okay. Yeah. They make the Fudgy the Whale, which is very good. I I, I think you're right. I think we need need some way to make the ice cream cake more prevalent at like parties and gatherings instead of a, yeah. a you know brownie or a cake type thing. Yeah, because you think a cake, hey, I'll bring a cake, you're putting it on the table. But then you, you, can't, also, you can't put the ice cream cake yeah, on the table. Yeah, that's right. Now you're setting it out and now it's melting. Like it, it's a mess. Yeah. We need better transportation options and better transport options for an ice cream cake. And I don't think people are pushing for this enough. I think you and I need to patent some sort of ice sculpture that braces the ice cream cake. So when you order the ice cream, we bring the ice cream in an ice in a, in, in like a, so it doesn't like almost like a, 
a dry ice platform that you can keep it on and it keeps it chill and you can keep it out. The best part of this, there's probably like they're probably already out there and people have them and we just don't, we're just not paying enough attention. I'm going on Amazon tonight. It's very possible. <laughs> uh, but you also, you, you kind of played off of this. Yeah. And asked, does anybody actually eat birthday cake? Now I can answer and say, first of all, yes, children. Uh, I, like literally it's my birthday Thursday. Uh, that's why we were down in San Diego going to all the, all the baseball games this weekend. Well, by the way, I no. sent you a Venmo on, on your birthday. I didn't get a thank you, you or nothing. Well, I'll explain why. Uh, <laughs> I do appreciate No, I appreciate it, of course. I just uh, thought of that. It, I do appreciate that. But, uh, yeah, no, there was no cake. I, I will say we had, like, what, eight or nine meals as a group. We, there was, like, eight of us down there, nine of us down there. No, there was no birthday cake. You know, I don't think adults have birthday cake. Well, what's funny is when Jordan was little, he didn't want birthday cake at his birthday parties. His mom would bake a pie and his, his specific specific pie or a specialty cake of some kind, but it wasn't he the birthday cake with the frosting and all he just wasn't he just I don't know if it's because I, I'm not a birthday cake person. So if I show up somewhere and there's a sheet of cake, like I'm probably not gonna have cake. I'm just not a cake person. <laughs> it's just anti cake in general? Yeah, just I it's you know what I think it is, is it's like it's I I, I wanna I would have to say it's probably the cream, like the whipped cream, the buttercream, whatever. It, it's it's just too too much. I mean, now, don't get me wrong. Like, so if I'm going out to a nice fine dinner and something on the menu, I'm generally getting the tiramisu or the creme brulee. But if they're – like, they bring over the dessert. You know, some of them, they bring the whole dessert tray over and they look at it. And, you, they, you know, um, I'll probably go for a chocolate cake. But it's – it's made proportionate where you're getting cake with icing, not icing with cake. Just the garden variety birthday cake has never been a thing. I never I mean, have to worry somebody, about getting a birthday cake. For somebody cake. who's so anti-cake, you're very you have a lot of details on cake. Yes, like there's, there's, you know a lot about it's, the cake. It's, it's a big topic for me. Birthday I think cake. It, like, listen, I find cake delicious. I just I like I the order. Hey, it's my birthday. I need to have a cake today. I don't. I don't like the four. We've talked about this with other holidays too. Hmm. Steve with his ridiculous St. Patrick's Day Reuben sandwich thing. Oh. Of like, if I love a Reuben, like, do you? Then eat one on a Tuesday in November. Right. Like, yeah. why do you have to only have it on on March seventeenth if you enjoy it so or much? Bring it up, yeah. But like, if you like a cake, eat a cake whenever you want to. You don't have to wait for your birthday and then, hey, I need a cake today. It's my birthday. That's just so dumb. You know what's not dumb? NBA summer league. How about that? That was that was my wonderful segue. Uh, four pack of tickets for any day of NBA Summer League. And of course, we know NBA Summer League involves all 30 teams, eight games a day over at the Thomas and Mac in Cox Pavilion, July 7th to 17th. Tickets available, of course, at UNLVTickets.com or if you can win them from us, 364 1100, color six, four pack of tickets for any day of the NBA Summer League. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. Bryce down the left side. Bryce put it off the glass and in. Bryce Hamilton, yet another bucket. And that's the way the half ends as Bryce goes on a run. Pass to Williams. A three from the left side. Donovan is good. He's hit three huge threes in this game. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Back here, Cofield and Company. Hilda's Hobie's edition on this Monday, ESPN Las Vegas. Get into the NBA draft. We talked about how much we love the offseason. It's really starting to intensify now. We had a complete shift in the Kyrie Irving story already in the middle of the show. Talked about one part of Kyrie Irving potentially leaving, and then 
had to pivot and talk about Kyrie Irving opting back in uh, to his contract with the Nets. Uh, so the drama has started. We know that. But the draft is really where things get going. And Jake Weingarten, you can follow him on Twitter at Jake Weingarten uh, from StockRisers.com, a national recruiting site, also covers the NBA draft. And we want to get some insight from him on what we saw this last week. How you doing, man? Good. How you guys doing? I really appreciate you guys having me tonight. Yeah, of course. We are good. We want to get into uh, some of the UNLV guys and, and where they ended up and, and will play in the summer league. Uh, but I just want to get your take first of all. What did you think was the uh, the biggest story coming out of the draft? Obviously, we had Bancaro and his uh, rise and the crazy betting markets that went on. And uh, we saw how the first round kind of fell. What, what was your big takeaways from the draft? It's actually ironic because the biggest takeaway from the draft for me actually is surrounding a Las Vegas native and a Jaden Hardy dropping. Um, I think that was criminal how far he dropped. He was a top 20 prospect to me and easily one of the most impressive scorers I've actually watched over the last four and a half years. So for him to drop that far at 37, I, I think it was crazy, but he ended up in Dallas. So for Jaden Hardy, one of the best scorers to be playing around Luka Doncic, I think that's a perfect influence for him. And outside of, you know, Paulo jumping a one and Jabari going three, obviously we knew Chet was going two. But I think besides that, I think Jaden Hardy dropping was insane. So I guess we'll we'll go to Jaden Hardy. And, of course, he ends up with uh, another former UNLV guy and Chris Wood down in Dallas, which will be fun. Um, mm-hmm. But when you talk about Jaden Hardy, what do you think – were the factors that team saw that they maybe didn't like about Jaden? And what does it say about, uh, you know, guys going the G League route instead of college basketball? Um, honestly, I don't know what the flaw was, uh, it, which is why to me, which to me is why it's so insane that he dropped as far as he did. I mean, you're getting a guy that could score the bucket from anywhere. Obviously, you know, defense might have been a little adjustment for him playing against pro competition, but he was also 19 years old. And, you know, that's an area he can improve in, right, when he gets to the league. Also, physically, you know, I think he's a great size at the guard spot, which is another reason why I was kind of shocked. But, yeah, to get a guy that's a pure scorer and can score from anywhere on the court, Dallas is real lucky. And, you know, to have Luka Doncic as an influence and a vet over there, I think Jason Hardy could literally have an impact off Rip this year in Dallas. So we were talking, and again, Jake Weingarten joins us, so you can follow him at Jake Weingarten and check out StockRisers.com. Uh we talk about you know we talked a lot about Brooklyn already today with Kyrie Irving and his decision he will stay uh, with the Nets. Uh, Donovan Williams ends up there, and I know a lot of people were very interested to see where he would go. Uh, what do you think about that fit? Um, I actually talked to a couple of teams pre-draft that were considering Donovan Williams as a second-round pick. So the fact that Brooklyn got him on an Exhibit Ten deal for the summer league to me is huge. It's actually a crazy quick short story. When I was at Summer League last year, it was actually Donovan's first week at UNLV. So I actually was able to catch some Summer League games with him and catch up with him. And it's ironic because he told me one year from now he would end up playing in Summer League. And he is with the Brooklyn Nets. For them to get a 6'6 guy that screams efficiency, his shooting splits are through the roof, 48% from the field and 43% from three. Look at one of the recruits that UNLV just got in Keyshawn Hall. They're kind of similar in size and the way they play, but Donovan's a great talent. I had him as a top 50, top 55 prospect. I was almost sure he would have gotten drafted in the second round, but you know, I'm pretty sure after a great summer league, whether it's with Brooklyn or whoever it is, I think he'll end up in a landing spot after a good summer league. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, what, I mean, you already answered there, but what, what do you think the chances are that he ends up finding his way? I mean, a lot of guys' journeys are different. They end up you know, two, three years down the road uh, in the NBA <laughs> after fighting their way there, but what are his chances of, of making the NBA next year? 
Oh, I think he can make the league after some of these. Like I said, he's definitely a second-round option. You know, assuming if he does end up getting signed after summer league, I think he could be more of a two-way candidate, a guy that will go up and down, but that's okay because he's only 21 years old. But a guy at 6'6", six, six, six man of the year, two-way player, he improved every single year. You know, you look at him coming out of Texas. I was always very high on him as a high school recruit. So to see him go from Texas to UNLV and the jumps he made, you know, he's a legitimate pro, and his off-season training routine is also great. He signed the 7-1 agency, which is a Jermaine O'Neal's agency, so I know they've been putting him through some really good workouts. So I think he's a guy that will, you know, end up making his way to the NBA level at some point. So Donovan could have come back. Bryce Hamilton, we saw at UNLV for a long time, had uh, such oh, yeah. such a good career, did did so many good things, and um, obviously we knew he was a very very good player at the college level, very good scorer. But sometimes it's it you know scoring translates differently to the next level. We know Bryce has to be more consistent from the outside uh, and maybe play a little bit better defense, but he showed that he could do those things. So what are the chances he could go in? Uh, you know, looks like with Miami and and you know maybe make an impact as well. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think, obviously, defense and the outside shooting needs to improve. But, I mean, Bryce Hamilton's a guy who I'm talking about improving. He improved the scoring every single year. And this season, in his final year, he was able to surpass 20 points. And he was a first-team player twice, really vocal, a leader. And, you know, the Miami Heat culture is no joke. Guys like that that grind four-year players, gritty, great scorers. He's also a very strong rebounder. I think he's going to fit very well in the Heat culture. And, you know, we were just talking about Donovan and the chances of him, you know, either staying with Brooklyn or going somewhere else. But, you know, you look at the Heat culture and their scouting department and the players they've scouted over the last few years, drafted or undrafted. You know, Bryce Hamilton has a legit shot, and I think he's going to see great minutes in the summer league. And like I said, he's a dynamic scorer, and I also really like the fact that, you know, he grabs the boards and he's crashing the boards. He averaged five rebounds this season, and I believe six last season. So, you're getting a scorer and a guy who's strong on the boards and, you know, a very consistent scorer improved year by year. You mentioned uh, one of the UNLV recruits. They brought in a couple, and including uh, another one today. Uh, what have you thought about how they've done uh, on the recruiting trail under Kevin Kruger now as he uh, starts to solidify himself as, as, you know, the head coach here at UNLV after a couple of seasons and um, is, you know, is really, you know, having a, you know, reaching his footprint wide to, uh, to try to find some players? Yeah, no, I think they've done a really good job. Uh, the area I've been most impressed with Coach Kruger is in the transfer portal. I think, you know, the fact that they lost a recruit and, uh, and Lindsay in the past and were able to add experience after losing the top high school player. I love Luis Rodriguez. I loved watching him at Ole Miss. That was a guy who had multiple different options, including uh, Louisville and Georgia Tech were among those. And then, you know, to bring in transfers is a big deal, especially nowadays the transfer portal is so active. Isaiah Cottrell is a player I've scouted for the last four and a half, five years as well. And, you know, obviously West Virginia, his numbers, you know, weren't too crazy, but that's a guy, you know, coming home with a chip on his shoulder. You know, West Virginia fans gave him a hard time after, you know, he left. I think he has a vengeance. I think he's going to have a really good season. And that was probably the highlight for me in UNLV recruiting this offseason was getting a dominant postman in Isaiah Cottrell. We mentioned StockRisers.com. You can follow him up on Twitter at Jake Weingarten and listen to the Basketball Prospect Show uh, on the Believe Network. Jake, what do you got coming up? What should people check out now that the uh, the draft is behind us? I'm actually going to be down your way for summer week, so that's the next thing I'm doing. I'm looking forward to it. 
Um, I went last year for the first time, and it's an amazing experience. There's nothing like Vegas, and you know, coming from New York, the the atmosphere is not too not too far off. But I really love Vegas, so that's what's coming next. And obviously, high school rec- recruiting twenty four seven at StockRisers dot com. Yeah, never it never ends, never ends. So we never we've, ends. We appreciate the time, man. Enjoy and enjoy your time out here in Vegas, and we'll talk to you soon. I really appreciate you guys. Thank you. Cool, thanks, man. Again, Jake Weingarten, you can follow up on Twitter. Uh, Weingarten is W-E-I-N-G-A-R-T-E-N. Listen to the Basketball Prospect Show on the Believe Network and check out StockRisers.com. We'll be back. Big Five next.